Well, good morning, church. Great to see you all this morning and uh, glad to see some of you who uh, haven't been here for a while. It's great to see the church kind of slowly coming back a little bit more, isn't it? Amen. Uh, it is. Uh, it's just fantastic. And um, this morning, um, as uh, we uh, now hear the message, um, we are going to be concluding the book of Second Corinthians today, and as well the series that we have called "Messy Church," in which we have explored not only First Corinthians but also Second Corinthians. And so today we conclude both Second Corinthians and our series next week. We're going to start a new series called I Am, based on the I Am statements of Jesus. And then after that, we move into Christmas. Can you believe it? Uh, We move into Christmas. It's October, folks. Now, I know 100 degree weather and sunny doesn't kind of lend itself to having pumpkin spice coffee and all that kind of stuff. But it is fall here in Tucson. So uh, wonderful, wonderful time of year, right? But it's cool at night, isn't it? Oh, it's just gorgeous. Just beautiful. And so anyways, that's not what I came to give you a report on this morning. Um, Let me say this as we have been journeying through this book and for that matter, even first Corinthians. Remember, first Corinthians dealt with kind of matters within the church and specifically the church in Corinth. They were dealing with some pretty um, heavy things. They they really were struggling, if you remember, dealing with things like how to deal with sin and, and dealing with proper order of worship and some of those things. And it was kind of messy, obviously. And Paul was, was trying to help them sort those things out as well as answering questions that they had asked of him along the way. Second Corinthians deals, as we have been looking at, the ministry of the church. And we have been looking at how, how churches, and specifically in this case, the church in Corinth, was struggling even in ministry, uh, serving others, uh, helping others. And Paul, again, is here guiding them through that process. And if there's anything that perhaps that we have learned going through this book in 2 Corinthians about ministry, it's this. Ministry is hard, isn't it? And what I mean by ministry, in case we have forgotten what that means, really how I would define ministry is furthering the cause of Jesus Christ both in our words and in our deeds or actions. In other words, sharing the gospel, serving others, helping others. In other words, helping to alleviate other people's necessities by helping to meet some of those necessities. And you would think that as followers of Jesus going out and ministering, and by the way, ministry isn't confined just to what we might think in the church, like we're at church and we're doing ministry. No, no, no. Ministry is all the time. It doesn't matter if we're ministering to a co-worker or to a family member or to someone at the church. It does not matter. We are doing ministry all the time because there is no point, I hope we know this, at what? At no point do we all of a sudden say, today I am not following Jesus, therefore I'm just acting on my own free will. Okay? We are always followers of Jesus. We are always representing Jesus. And by the way, in case you didn't also realize this, we are also being watched by others, not only who are followers of Jesus, but more importantly by those who are not, trying to figure out how do we respond and act. We're always being watched. And so there is never a point at which we are not doing ministry. Never. But that doesn't make it any easier. You would think it would. You would think that by us going out and wanting to help others and serve others, you'd think that it would be 
easy. I mean, after all, who doesn't want to be helped occasionally? Who doesn't want to have someone who is there to aid them or help them or, or just be there for them? Who doesn't want that? And yet, ministry is incredibly hard. And if you need any reminder, just take a look at the past six months of COVID. And all of the things that, as a church, specifically here at Summit Ridge, we have not been able to do. For instance, for a while there, we did not gather together in person as a church. That's hard. We couldn't see each other personally. We couldn't talk with each other. We couldn't interact. We couldn't even say to people as we would normally, hey, how are you doing? You know, how's life? You know, is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything I can pray for you about? None of that. I mean, it kind of all kind of stopped a little bit or changed tremendously, didn't it? And it just became incredibly difficult. In in case you don't realize this, I'll just remind you, six months ago, we were not streaming live stream on Facebook or YouTube or on our website. These spotlights, these, this didn't exist. It did not exist. We had no plans on doing this, by the way. We were recording the sermons and we post them later because, quite frankly, we were concerned that doing so, if we live streamed it, all of a sudden now, as we've learned from other churches, their attendance went down. Because people would, by convenience, rather worship in their PJs than worship in their Sunday clothes. You know, it just, it just kind of, it just is something like we never, we never wanted to go this route. This just isn't who we were. And yet, here we were presented with a ministry obstacle, if you will. And ministry is done best in person. It really is. The church and the gathering of the people of Jesus Christ is meant to be done in person, which is why I understand so many churches, and we have been very fortunate in the state of Arizona as it comes to churches, because we have been exempt from any of the restrictions that have been applied to any other company, business, industry, etc., etc., etc. We have and could have continued to meet regardless. However, we did not think that was wise nor safe. But there are other churches in other states that do not have those options. Uh, and, and so they struggle with that. But even there, we have struggled, haven't we? Ministry has been hard these past six months. How do we, and, and we have been racking our brain as a staff and as leadership elders and deacons, of just trying to figure out how can we engage with all of you who are not only here in person now, but specifically those of you who are joining us online, how can we specifically, I always want to say pacifically, um, specifically engage with you all to, you can know that you are connected, yet you are still a part of this body, that you are start, still a part of this family, this church family. And we are still working out some of those things. One of the ideas that I, and this is the irony of this whole thing, when I first came here to Summit Ridge, I said, you know what? Um, I really am kind of uh, hesitant to do pastoral prayer in the sense of taking pastoral requests from the congregation in real time and then praying for those requests. The whole myriad of reasons for that. Um, sometimes what is shared isn't always appropriate by others. They just don't know it. Sometimes what is shared is a book. And I just need a summary. We just all need a summary. And then all of a sudden, so I just really, man, I just, you know, some of you who are here early on, you, you know this. Um, that I was really hesitant to do that. Well, guess what we're considering doing? In real time, having people, whether you are here in person or live streaming, text us prayer requests or let us know and I'll pray or someone else, one of our pastors will pray for you in the service, pray for those requests. Because in some way, can hopefully help us feel as though we're connected. 
Because ministry is really hard now, isn't it? Really hard. Oh, and, and by the way, it's an election season. <sighs> Dear Lord, and I do mean that not sarcastically. Um, this past week has just been a whirlwind, hasn't it? Never mind the debate and how do we engage each other as Christians, setting aside the fact that sometimes we mess our politics up with our Christianity. And we forget that sometimes we need to be Christians first. And that whatever political flavor we might become second, third, fourth, fifth, maybe tenth. Way down there, right? Um, you know, and just the fact that, and, and I want to do something in just a little bit here. The fact that just this past, you know, two days, our president has been diagnosed with COVID. And some of the vitriol that came out as a result of that is horrible. And I just hope it's, none, none of it has come from Christians. I hope none of it's come from Christians. Because that's not the Christian response, is it? The Christian response is to do what? Pray. You know that. We know that. So let's do this right now. Can we pray for our president? You may not agree with him. You may not have even have voted for him. That's irrelevant. That is irrelevant, isn't it? And not only that, let's pray for the rest of our leaders who have also been impacted by COVID. And quite frankly, have now, you know, in a new reality for them as well as for us, that, wow, if it can get to them, it can get to anyone, can it? Let's just spend a few moments and let's pray. We're going to do some ministry right now. Father, we just want to pray for our president this morning and for the first lady and for the rest of those in our government, Jesus, who have been infected by COVID as early as just simply a couple of days ago, Jesus. A couple of days ago, we couldn't even imagine that this might be possible, and yet here we are today. Um, Father, we want to pray for President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump that they would um, come through this with full healing, Jesus. We pray that also for the rest of our leaders, Jesus. Lord, um, we just want to pray that you would continue to guide all of them, Jesus, as they continue to make decisions that impact every single one of us, Jesus. And not only those of us here in this country, Jesus, but people all around the world. Father, we just want to lift the first family up to you. We want to lift our government leaders up to you, Jesus. And we just pray all of this in your name and all of God's people said. Ministry's hard, isn't it? Not easy. There's a couple of reasons why. Uh, it's interesting. I came across a list. And maybe you might be able to re relate to this list, at least some of the reasons why ministry is so difficult. For instance, one is this. You may question if God actually called you to ministry and if you heard him right. <laughs> oh, how many times have I had conversations with some of you? And myself, is this really where I'm supposed to be? Are these the people I'm really supposed to be ministering to? Right? You might even think that about family members, co-workers, that sort of thing. You don't have to go very far with this. Here's another reason why. People will disappoint you. Oh, and by the way, you'll disappoint them. People will be terrible to you or your family on occasion. Let me say that again. People will be terrible to you and also your family on occasion. Particularly in this politically charged environment. It's crazy 
Absolutely crazy. Um, your family will resent your ministry, ministry role at times. Uh, you will feel alone. Programs and ministries that took years to build will disappear overnight. Things that maybe you helped to build, things that maybe you were incredibly an important part of building, can be changed overnight. You will feel overwhelmed. You will feel abandoned. You will feel spent, exhausted. Can you relate to any of those? Think about those that you're ministering to. Have you ever felt at least one or two or maybe more of those things that I just listed? It's hard, isn't it? Ministry's hard. Well, today's message is not going to get any easier. Sorry. Uh, because here's what I'm going to add on. Not only is ministry hard, but as we're going to see today in today's passage, ministry also hurts. Not only is ministry hard, but ministry also hurts. And as we're going to look today, as we end this book in 2 Corinthians, it is what I would not call a typical ending to a letter that one is writing to those that the author loves and has cared for and has been with. No, no. Oftentimes you might think of a letter that you're ending to someone that you love as saying, I love you. I hope to see you soon. God bless you. Amen. Whatever. Kind of end off nice and cheery. Paul's not going to do that here. This is not what I would call a typical ending to a letter that we might write to those that we might love or have a relationship with. Instead, what he writes here opens up and really just helps us to understand that ministry is not only hard, but ministry also hurts. And this morning, as we look at this passage, and by the way, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, and we will go all the way to the end of the letter at chapter 13, verse 14. All the way to the end. And as we do, we are going to see two reasons why ministry hurts and what we can do when it does. Because what Paul does here, not only does he show that ministry hurts and why it hurts, but he's also going to show what can be done when it does hurt. Because ministry is going to hurt. Why? Because we're ministering to those we care about. We're ministering to those that we love. And inevitably, there is going to be hurt. It's going to be not only hard, it's going to be hurt. We're going to be hurt. Those that we may be ministering to are going to be hurt. It's just going to be tough. So let's find out why ministry hurts. And not only that, what we can do about it when it does. So, first reason is this. Ministry hurts because I am and you are human. We're going to flesh this out here in the following verses. But let's take a look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, and Paul writes the following. And by the way, the previous six verses, he has shared about all these revelations that he has had, that he's been taken up to the third heaven, and he's been able to see the glory of God and the vision that God has, and it's been a beautiful thing. And then he comes to verse 7, and he says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations he just shared, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, what? I am strong. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Right? In other words, here's the the reality in case you don't know this yet. You and I are human. (laughs) Sometimes we need to be reminded of that, right? We are human. And that comes with it an incredible amount of complexities that sometimes we forget. Or we'd rather not acknowledge. For example, us being human, we know this, that we are getting older that we are frail. If you think about it this way, out of the vast earth that we get to live on, right? And the wonderful, you know, environment we get to be in and the air we get to take in and the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the streams and water and all that kind of stuff. If you think about this, we as human beings can only survive out of all of the layers that our earth has and the layers that our atmosphere has. We are only meant to survive on a very thin area. If we go too high, we die. If we go too low, we die. In other words, we cannot go up to the upper echelons of our atmosphere or in space just like this, can we? Won't work. It will not work. We cannot do those things. We cannot go to the depths of the ocean without having some sort of mechanized transportation that can take the pressure and protect us so we can explore the Mariana Trench or some other deep water trench and explore what's ever down there, right? I mean, and there are some ugly things down there. Have you ever seen what they brought up from down there? It ain't pretty, but it's fascinating. The only way we can do that is if we have things that protect us. Why? Because we are fragile. We are fragile. We are incredibly limited in our scope in our ability to live, we are incredibly limited in our intelligence, in our spirituality, in our ability to know God. We are limited as human beings. We are limited. There's only a certain you know, amount of speed that we can go and run. There's only a certain amount of things that we can do. There's only a certain amount of deep friendships we, we can have. We can't be deep friends with every single person we come in contact with, can we? We just can't. We are limited we are absolutely limited that that doesn't stop us does it from thinking we can do anything that doesn't stop us from thinking that although we know we are not god sometimes we're tempted to think we are right sometimes we think we can do those things and we need to be reminded that we can't Sometimes when it comes to ministry, we need to be reminded that as gifted as we may be, as intelligent as we may be, as talented as we may be, ministry is possible only because of Jesus. Ministry is only possible because he's called us to that ministry. And we're not in that ministry 
because of the fact of our gifts and our skills and our talents and our intelligence and all that kind of stuff. We're in that ministry and whatever that ministry is because Jesus Christ, out of his grace, put us there. Have you ever thought about it this way? That the people whom God has placed in your path to minister to are there is a privilege and not a right? Have you ever thought about that? My position as a pastor here at Summit Ridge is not a right. I have no right to be here. I have the degrees. I have it. And I'll never forget this. I had a a professor in seminary share this with me and with the class, right? So I got what's called a Master's of Divinity degree. Just think about that. Let that soak in to what that means, right? Let that soak in. I had a pastor at seminary, seminary, um, share with me, share with me and with the class. He says, guys, you're getting a master's of divinity. Let me just tell you this. You have mastered nothing that is divine. You have mastered nothing that is divine. Nothing. He said, all you did was complete a set of expectations and credit hours that had yielded you a paper, a piece of paper. That's all it did. Okay, I have no right to be a pastor of this church because of the fact that I have a master's degree or for that matter, I have a doctorate degree. I have no right to be a pastor of this church because of my education. I have no right to be a pastor of this church because I think I might be a good preacher. Well, we know the truth on that, don't we? All right. Right. You guys are very nice to remind me an hour. Seriously. It's all right. I get it. I get it. Right? I have no right to be here. None. The only right, the only reason why I'm here is because out of God's graciousness to me to be able to be here to minister in this way. That's it. That's it. I told our staff this yesterday, and I share it with you all today. It's really important to me, at least, that for me, I hold ministry with an open hand and not a clenched fist. Not something that I have a right to, but rather it's a gifting that I don't deserve. At any point, God can place it in my hands, and at any point, God can take it. And it's his. Will, I, will it be hurtful? Yes. That's not to deny that if, you know, someday that God says, you know what, Dan, you're no longer going to be this. You're no longer going to be the pastor here or whatever else. Will that hurt? Yes. That will hurt. But it's a reminder It's a reminder. Paul had this reminder. He had all these wonderful revelations. And Paul, if you think about it, was highly qualified to be in ministry, right? He was a Jew by birth. He was a Roman citizen. He was highly educated in the scriptures. He at one point not only uh, persecuted Christians, uh, he was also then the one who went out and planted and became, in many ways, the one apostle that we now remember more than almost any other apostle in the work that he did by ministering to the Gentiles. He was well-traveled, well-versed, and yet here he confesses out of all of that, he was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is. We don't know if it was an actual physical ailment. There's discussions about that, maybe some sort of eye ailment that he had or whatever. We don't know if it was some sort of persecution that he was suffering. We don't know, but here's what we do know is that Satan gave it to him, and God wouldn't take it away. All for one specific purpose, Paul said. To be a reminder 
that where he is and what he is doing is a gift, not a right. And to not be tempted to think that what he brought to it is why ministry was so successful. To keep him humbled. It's to keep him humbled. That's why. This thorn in the flesh. There are things, whether or not we want to admit it, that there are things in our lives that perhaps have been given to us that we look at as obstacles and think, God, why did you give this to me? There are pastors. There's one pastor I, I was reading about, a very well-known pastor. He is allergic to adrenaline. He can't get excited. I mean, holy cow, I'm up, I'm up here preaching. I'm excited. The rest of you are... I'm excited. This is awesome, right? He can't get excited. Because if he does, it's bad. Right? Allergic to adrenaline. Oh my word. He can't go rock climbing, you know, jumping out of airplanes. Who would want to do that anyways? Uh, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he can't do that stuff. It's adrenaline junkie stuff. I mean, because it would be bad. Sometimes there are things that are placed in our path that we look at that are obstacles and we think, God, why don't you remove this? If only you would remove this, I could be so much more effective at ministry. I could be so much effective for your kingdom and the work that you are calling me to do. If you remove these boundaries, people would hear me better. People would want to know you better. All of these kinds of things, things that we, we say to ourselves when actually perhaps the reason why they are there is not so that you will be more effective, but rather God will be more effective. Not for the fact that you will think that you are the one who's making all of this happen, but a reminder to know that you are there, and the only reason why things are happening is because God is doing it. We are human. We are human. That is what that is. And pride is the one thing as humans that we struggle with a lot, isn't it? And we have to be incredibly careful about that. Pride shows up all over the place in ways that we may not even fully know. Shows up all over the place. And we've got to be incredibly careful about pride. And therefore, Jesus knows us better than we do about our proclivity. How's that for a word? Towards pride in such a way that he may put things in our lives, obstacles that we may view them as, but rather instead are things to remind us it's about him, not about us. That's what it's about. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity, which, by the way, is a phenomenal book. He said this. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Think about that. Pride, as what C.S. Lewis would share later on, is the worst sin out of all the sins. Because pride is self-centered. Pride is all about me and not about others. Pride is the belief that I and only I am the smartest person in the room, the most talented person in the room, that I do not need to listen to anyone else or have anyone else help me or be with me. And he says, how, you know, if you are proud, you cannot know God. In fact, I think that's, quite frankly, perhaps the number one reason why people do not want to follow Jesus. It's out of pride. Because Jesus asks you to take a knee to follow him. To submit to him. And we're not always good at that, are we? As human beings. 
He goes on and says this, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And sometimes God will put obstacles in our way to stop us, or at least stop the temptation from looking down so we can look up and be reminded, Jesus, you're the reason why I'm here. You're the reason why I'm doing this. You're the reason why things are happening and people's lives are changing. It's you and not me. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever thanked Jesus for the obstacles he may have put in your, in your life? Have you ever thanked him for that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this thorn in my flesh. Uh, because it's there. For the sole purpose of helping us to realize, look up. Stop looking down. Stop looking down. Jesus shares a parable in Luke chapter 18 that illustrates this point so vividly. And he says this. He says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt or looking down at them. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Can you imagine saying that to God like God doesn't already know that? Seriously? God, just to let you know, I tithe this week. Did it for you. He goes on and he says this. But a tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. Imagine that. Get the visual picture here. This tax collector viewed himself not even worthy to be in the temple, not even worthy to be in God's presence, even to the point of not being able to even want to look up to him. And he simply says this, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Do you know what that simple line is also known as? It's known as the Jesus prayer. You can actually say it by breathing. You can actually inhale, Lord Jesus, and then exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's called the Jesus prayer. And it's just a great reminder of the fact that we are all sinners and to make that point, Jesus says this in verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know why ministry hurts? Because we're prideful. And Jesus wants to take that pride out. And that process of ripping that pride out of us is incredibly painful and it hurts. But it is oh so necessary because in the end, and I believe this, God is more concerned about wanting to help and create and mold our character than he is interested in what we are doing for him. Fruit of the Spirit far outweighs any sort of action that we might want to do. Far outweighs it. That's just the first reason. Here's the second. 
why ministry hurts. Ministry hurts because those whom you serve are human. (laughs) Ministry hurts because those whom you serve are human. Listen to what Paul is saying here. And this is really fascinating. Paul says the following, beginning with verse 11. I have become foolish and you yourselves compelled me. Why is he saying that? Because here he is boasting and he, and, he, and he knows it's a foolish thing to do, but they're compelling him to do it because of what is going on here. And this will be explained here in just a minute. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you all with perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. What was going on here? Paul was highlighting the fact that ministry hurts because those whom he serves are also human. And humans do human things. Imperfect beings do imperfect things. And here's what was going on here. Paul was now being questioned by his legitimacy as an apostle. In other words, his character was being attacked. And that's hurtful enough. But do you know what was the most hurtful thing about it? Was that those whom he loved, he knew, and ministered to for a long time believed those accusations. Believed what these teachers, these false teachers, these super apostles, if you were, as he calls them, were saying about him. And the most hurtful thing out of that is that those whom Paul knew believed those accusations. Things were being said about him that were absolutely false. And worse of it, those who should have known better believed it. How hurtful is that? How hurtful is that? And that's what Paul was dealing with here. He was dealing with the accusations that, you know what, Paul, you've suffered an awful lot. You've got this thorn in the flesh. I mean, you've talked about these beatings. You've been arrested. All of these things. You cannot be an apostle because certainly not an apostle of Jesus Christ would ever have gone through those things. No, no, no. Apostle of Jesus Christ is, is successful. They bring people to Jesus. They have these wonderful large gatherings of people. And afterwards, a call is made out to come and follow Jesus. And all these people respond to that call. I mean, it's like Peter. Peter gives out an eight-minute message theoretically, is what we think it is in Acts. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Wow! Paul speaks, by the way, one example of this, Paul is speaking late in the night and he's going on and on and on and there's a guy who's sitting on the end of the window because it's cooler. He falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. That's Paul's claim to fame. Yeah, it kind of went on a little too long. Guy fell asleep and died. But he raised them back from the dead. Right? That's what Paul is saying. Listen, listen. Yes, I've had all these troubles, but that doesn't mean I'm not an apostle. In fact, you know some of the things that have been done. You know that through, through the ministry I've been able to have, that people have been raised from the dead. People have come to know Jesus. Churches are being planted. The word of God is spreading. It's phenomenal. And yet that didn't stop people from believing the fact that what they were saying by, about Paul was absolutely false and hurt him deeply. Think about that. Think about those that are close to you. Those that know you well. A family member, a friend. And all of a sudden there's an accusation about you. 
and that friend or that close family member not only doesn't defend you, which is what Paul is saying here, you should have defended me when you heard these accusations, but instead actually believes it. And for that matter, for no good reason. That's, that cuts close, doesn't it? That cuts close. I, I don't know about you, but certainly long enough in ministry, I have been accused of being judgmental, of being insensitive, of being, um, you know, just absolutely uncompassionate, uncaring, everything else you can name. And sometimes maybe those things are true. But not all the time. In the times when I knew it wasn't true, and those who believed it were closest to me, that really hurt. Ministry hurts because those we serve are human. And they will inevitably hurt us. If you haven't been hurt yet, just give it time. The worst kind of hurt isn't from those outside, those that you don't know. The worst kind of hurt isn't from, for instance, even other Christians. The worst kind of hurt happens within the church. It really does. Because we're family. We know each other. It's the worst kind of hurt. It's the worst kind of hurt. And Paul shares that. And he goes on and he says this. And, and, and not only that, not only were they saying that he's not a true apostle, but he was also running a, a financial scheme. Listen to what it says. It goes on here and says this. It doesn't even stop there. He says, but be that as it may, I did not burden myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you. Have I? I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? In other words, Paul went and ministered to the church in Corinth and he didn't take any financial compensation. Instead, he he supported himself. And what these super apostles did is took that and twisted it and said, well, actually, he's running a a Ponzi scheme or a financial uh, ruse on you because he's collecting a donation for the church in Jerusalem. But really, he's taking the money for himself. And Paul says, are you crazy? Did any of the people that I sent to you, did they in any way manipulate you, deceive you? Did I? Oh, I am so sorry I didn't give you the opportunity to support me. He says this in verse 19. At this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ. And all of you, all of your upbuilding, beloved, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. That's a mess. Paul is hurting because of these attacks. And when he gets there, he's afraid he's just going to be attacked more. He's going to find them and just completely messed up. Ministry hurts because those whom we minister to are human. Inevitable. It's inevitable. Jesus was hurt. Think about this. Out of the twelve, one betrayed him. The other denied him. The rest deserted him. 
Those who should have known better. If they did it to Jesus, it will be done to us. Just remember that. It's going to happen. It's so hurtful. So what do we do? What do we do when ministry hurts? There's one thing. Paul has shared it, and he's going to share it again, and it's this. When you are hurt, press into your weakness. I'll explain that in just a little bit. When you are hurting, press into your weakness. Paul did that when he talked about that thorn in the flesh, didn't he? He didn't hide it. He didn't, he didn't try to mask it over. He admitted it, and he said, yes, I have this thorn, and yes, it's there. And yes, it impedes my ministry. It makes it harder for me to do ministry. It's there. I am not perfect. That's what he is admitting. I am not the super apostle that you wish me to be. I am human. I am frail. And not only that, he goes on and says the following in chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Not only is he weak, he is asking the church in Corinth to also press into their weakness by acknowledging that they have believed in things that are not true. And therefore, he is saying everything is to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Can you find at least two or three other people to confirm that what they are saying about me is true? He's asking them to press into their weakness that they don't know what they're talking about. I have previously said when present the second time and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and do all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of our weakness. Jesus is he's, Paul is pressing into Jesus' weakness as he's asking them to press into theirs and as Paul has already pressed into his. It comes from Jesus. Right? Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Therefore, he says this, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. It is awfully hard to actually test yourselves when you believe that you are right, when you believe that you have nothing to uh, you know, atone for or ask forgiveness for, when you are right and you are perfect. If you believe those things, how will you ever know if Jesus Christ is in you? When we press into our weakness, we acknowledge, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I cannot do this. I am weak. I cannot do this on my own. I am so weak. I have done things or I believe things that are wrong or whatever it is. I cannot do ministry without you. I am too weak. Please help me. That is what Paul is saying here. But I trust, Paul says, that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you would do no wrong Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that we may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you will be made complete. 
For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when I present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. We need to press into our weaknesses, church. We need to admit that we are human. We need to admit that we don't have it figured out. We need to admit that we are sinful people that need forgiveness. And we also need to admit that we cannot do ministry without God's leading. It's in that spirit that I want to share some things personally about where I've been the past six months. I want to press into my weakness. I've shared this with our older board. I've shared this with um, others, pastors, uh, even in a pastor's group I was with this week. Um, This past year has been the toughest year of ministry ever for me. I cannot imagine at this point when I was starting 2020 or even a little bit before that, that I thought, well, I've been here for a while now. It ought to be at a point where I can kind of like finally kind of enjoy some of the fruits of the labor kind of thing. Right? I, it has been the toughest year ministry-wise. Other aspects as well, but certainly ministry-wise. And I'll be honest with you, I am mildly depressed. And have been. Mildly depressed. I have had very little energy for things. I am in some ways just kind of doing the job. Going through the motions. Um, and someone asked me, aren't you, and this is no slight against what I'm going to say. Someone asked me, aren't you excited and you got Raven coming on board and all that kind of stuff? I said, eh. Not against Raven. It's just where I am. Mildly depressed. I think a big reason part of that is because ministry has changed so dramatically in this COVID thing. Secondly, we've had such a transitional period with our staff. Thirdly, and this is hard, is that we have lost some people in our congregation that we have not been able to celebrate their lives because of COVID. We've not been able to honor them as a community. And that's been really hard. Trying to figure out how to do all of this stuff has been really hard. And out of, it's just where I am. I have had, I'll be honest with you, there have been some days where I thought, let me just get through this and I just want to go home and sit in the office and watch a movie and fall asleep. Let me just get through this just where I am right now. I don't think it's permanent. But I need to be honest with you. I am frail. I am human. I don't have it all together. I wish I did. But I don't. And I need to press into that weakness. I can't ignore it anymore. can't put on always the pastoral happy face. I mean, I, I be professional and do the job. Don't get me wrong. But there just comes a point where you say, you know what? Man, I'm struggling here. I know I'm not in, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not alone in this. Other pastors that I have talked with are experiencing the same thing. We have lost people in our church as well during this time. There's been a shifting 
We're just still trying to figure out. Do you know what one of my biggest frustrations, I'll be honest with you, is to our children's ministry. I can't figure out how to make that thing function well. And we have to. Right? We've got to do it. But there's shift around priorities, and there are things that are going on, and, and this is all fine. It's a part of life, but man... It's hard to do without connection with each other, without the regular rhythms of ministry that we have so enjoyed, or at least I have. It's really difficult. But here's the thing, and it doesn't end there, does it? Because that's not how Jesus works. I don't think that these are obstacles that are necessarily meant there to just simply be there for the sake of being there. No, there's things to learn from that. And then in the end, it's a reminder that, guess what? This is God's church, not mine. We are His people and no one else's. And yeah, ministry is hard and it also hurts, but thanks be to Jesus Christ who laid the path before us and said, in the end, I got this. It's going to be good. The hope I have for you, like... Paul had in the revelations that he shared before the passages we looked at today is just unreal and beautiful. I look so forward to that day and that's why I'm in this race. What a reminder. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I'm tired. But I'm going to keep going because of the call that Jesus placed on my life. I hope you will do the same. You may feel the same. I want to encourage you, keep going. God is not done yet. He is still here. And no, and I can't think of right now, out of the six months we have been here, as we come into what our country is facing, that we need to be in ministry more now than ever before. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, it's a little long today. I apologize. I confess that on my weakness. I'm a gabber. Oh, Jesus, I am so grateful for the ministry you have called us to. Whatever that ministry is, I know it's unique for every single one of us, and that's the beauty of the body in which you have created. I pray, Jesus, not only for my own soul and my own life, but I pray for every single one of us here, Jesus, who maybe has struggled these past months as I have struggled, or in some similar way, Jesus, that instead of ignoring these weaknesses or believing that they are a sign of a lack of faith or in some way something's wrong with us, the reality is, yeah, there's something wrong with us. Jesus, as I think about this, we're sinners. We have a proclivity or a, a, a bent towards pride. And not only that, Jesus, um, we may be tempted to think that maybe the reason why that we're so successful in ministry is because of us. I pray, Father, that you would remind us that it's not because of us, but because of you. Instill in us the continued endurance and perseverance we so desperately need to continue to minister, even when we ourselves have been hurt. And Jesus, I pray in the end, it is you who receives the glory. It is you who receives the honor. It is you who people bend their knee towards and say, you, Jesus, are Lord. In your name I pray and all of God's people said.